let's pray together. Lord, we thank you uh, for the morning, and uh, I want to thank you uh, for this uh, text as we close out the book of Ephesians. Uh, it has been um, just a, a good and rich time uh, for, for me pastorally to study this uh, and to preach it, and I pray it's been uh, beneficial to our church as well. We thank you so much for Jesus and his grace. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Everybody uh, has these moments, right, where the battles of life, the, the battles that you're facing, feel like a million miles away. In uh, November of 2020, uh, my dad passed away, and I don't need to tell you all that 2020 carried its own set of challenges uh, to, to begin with, but that happened uh, in our family in addition to that. And as 2021 uh, kind of rolled forward and, and rolled on, the year after, uh, our family uh, took a vacation to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, we flew into Seattle, uh, the four of us did, and we went to uh, one of Cheryl and I's favorite places on the planet, a place called Friday Harbor. It's an island um, a, a couple of hours north of Seattle, and uh, it's your best chance to see orcas from shore in the wild, uh, on, on planet Earth. We've been there twice and we haven't. I'm not saying anything. Just it is your best chance to be able to see that. Uh, and so we love to go. There's lots of hiking trails on this island. It's just a beautiful place. And so we went there and then we toured around the Pacific Northwest. And there were these times on that vacation where just pandemic problems and grief and all of that stuff, it just felt a bazillion miles away. It just kind of melted away as we hiked, as we took a boat tour, as we spent time as a family. It was just this sense of relaxation and it was great. But as you know, I don't think I have to preach this, you know this, life is not always vacation, right? Life is not always time off. And as we think about some of the battles that we are facing in this room, some of the people, I'm going to have you respond a little bit later in the sermon. If you feel like you need some prayer for the battles that you're individually facing, our current kind of cultural answer to some of those battles is escapism. That I think I need some vacation or some time away or a Sabbath. And listen, all of that, don't mishear me, don't hear me denigrating it because Sabbath and time away and rest fits into the rhythms that God created us to live in. And so God also is for time away and all of that, but there is this tension that one day a week is the Sabbath, a few weeks a year is vacation, and time away, depending on the age of your kids or your life stage, uh, time away only happens every so often. So coupled with Sabbath, coupled with vacation, coupled with time away, uh, maybe even a bigger priority than that, needs to be a day-to-day -day strategy of remaining faithful and remaining strong in our relationship to God in the context of the battles that we're facing. Because one thing that is true for everyone in this room, I bet, is that everybody in this room would say, yeah, this is the battle I'm facing, discouragement, or, or whatever. whatever it is. Everyone in this room has their, their battle. And escapism, escaping from it, cannot be the totality of what we do. It shouldn't even be the majority of what we do. The Bible will talk more about victory than it does escape. And that's what Ephesians 6 is all about. Now, let me lay the table, all right? Thanksgiving week. We'll set the table here just for a minute. I want you to put that idea aside just for a minute, but the book of Ephesians has so far been about the good news 
of Jesus, sometimes called the gospel, that Jesus came and he died for us so that our sins could be forgiven. He resurrected from the dead so that we could receive power and and live different lives. And when we internalize this message, this gospel, the latter part of the book of Ephesians is about everything that changes. Our relationships change, our attitudes change, our lives change because we believe this gospel. We believe our sins are forgiven. We believe our eternity is secure. We believe we've been invited into his kingdom. We believe these things so everything changes. And so this is part of the message of the good news. It's not just that we are forgiven and have eternal life, although that's part of it. It's that because of resurrected Jesus, we can change. We can change. And we can live different lives. We can do that, but it's not easy. We've talked about this before. It's not that, I I want you to know this. It's not that people can't change. I believe the Bible will repeatedly teach that people can change. I've seen this in my own family. I've told you the stories of my family, how the people of my family change as the result of Jesus. So it's not that people can't change. They can. It's that change is hard. Change is difficult. It requires a gospel-driven, we internalize the gospel, it requires a gospel-driven effort, it's hard. And I think sometimes change doesn't come more for that reason. If I can go from preaching to meddling, right? That sometimes it's because it's a discipline we just don't want to have right now, or it requires altering a way of life that is too difficult. It requires a conversation with someone that we care about, and it's awkward, and it's hard, and it's difficult. And if we're being honest, sometimes we just don't want to change. That's different than I can't change. Hear me, you can. You can. If you don't like uh, the, the way your life is going or the decisions that you're making or the path that you're on, you can change. It's hard, but you can do it. In addition to all those things that makes change tricky and overcoming tricky and whatever battle that you're facing this morning, what makes all of this tricky is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, that we also, in addition to all of that internal stuff, we also have an enemy. Uh, there, there, there is a spiritual battle involved in all of this, and uh, sometimes this enemy will be called Satan or the devil or Lucifer, and the enemy doesn't want you to change or be faithful, or to follow God, or have victory in any of your battles. And he has this playbook that he uses. He uses lies. He's the father of lies. He uses temptation, as we'll see in just a minute. He uses tricks and schemes. Sometimes in the Bible, he even uses pain and suffering to keep us from achieving victory over the battles that are in our lives, to keep us from changing. He doesn't want you to have the victory. Here's how Paul says it. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I love this because this is a question people will sometimes ask is, what can I do as a Christian when I live in a difficult culture? And everybody is swimming one way, and everyone's saying, this is right, this is good, this is how you should live, but I, this is how you should live, but I feel Christ teaches something else. What can I do in that moment when a culture is not 
necessarily totally opposed to Christianity, but it's just difficult to be a Christian. What can I do? Because I can't change legislation. I can't enact morality at a, at a cultural macro level. I don't have the ability to change our nation on a large scale. So what can I do? And listen, this was Paul's position, even worse. Paul's position was not that he found his culture difficult when it came to his faith. Paul's culture imprisoned him and eventually killed him for being a Christian. And he says, you want to know what you can do in a culture like that? Here's really the only thing you can do. You can be strong in the Lord. That's what you can do. You can be different. You can be countercultural. You can be, Paul says a chapter ago, you can be a child of the light. And so in light of the rest of Ephesians, I think Paul would say, what can you do in a difficult culture? If you view that this culture is difficult and it's hard to thrive as a Christian and everyone's swimming one way and you're trying to swim another way, what can you do? In the light of the rest of Ephesians, here's what Paul would say. You can have a strong marriage. <coughs> you can have a strong family. You can have a strong faith. You can be a strong employee. You can be a strong boss. You might not be able to change legislation or change things at a macro level as our nation, but you can change things on a micro level. You can be strong in the Lord, different, faithful. This is Paul's advice. One of the things I love about this text is it also helps us to see what the struggle we're facing actually is. Notice what he says. It's not against flesh and blood. It is against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, right? The battle is spiritual. Here's what that means. Politics might be a manifestation of the problem. Politics are not the problem. Your family, as you approach Thanksgiving, might be a manifestation of the problem. Your family is not the problem. Your work might be a manifestation of the problem. They are not the problem. The battle is spiritual, and it changes so many things when we understand this. Hopefully it changes the way you see the people around you because you would say, man, <coughs> excuse me. You would say, my problem living a strong life, my problem being able to change, my problem being able to overcome is fill in the blank. And you might have a person's name that you would put in there. It's, you know, my brother or my uncle or my boss or whoever. The, it might be Washington, D.C., they might be a manifestation of the problem. In other words, they might believe a lie. They might believe the enemy. They might have fallen for a scheme and it affects you. Their sin sometimes spills over on you. Your battle is not against them. And hopefully it's encouraging, but these entities are not the primary enemy of you living the life God has called you to live. These entities cannot stop you or keep you from changing. Let me be even more clear. The government cannot keep you from a righteous life. They cannot. They can enact a lot of legislation. They cannot keep you from living a righteous life. Your nuclear family cannot stop you from seeking God. They may have a lot of power and a lot of control. They can't stop you from seeking God. Your boss cannot keep you from your faith. Your struggle is not against flesh and blood. It changes the way we see people. It changes the way we engage in battle, uh, right? This is where we get into a violent approach sometimes with people. I told you uh, the study I saw a couple weeks ago that a, li <clears throat> a little less than half of Republicans and Democrats affirmed that violence is allowable to keep your political enemies from achieving their goals. 
And the problem with that, what's so disturbing about it to me, is that it confuses who the enemy is. The real battle is taking place in the heavenly realms, Paul will say. See, violence is a thing we do when we forget who the enemy is. Violence is this thing that's like, I got to commit violence against you so I can get my will and get my way and have things the way I want them to be. That's what violent people do. Prayer, as we'll see at the end of Ephesians 6, prayer is the quality that we do when we remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and principalities of this dark age. So prayer is not the only tool God gives us in this text, right? This text is sometimes called the the full armor of God, and I just want to walk through some of these things that God has given those of us in this room today that are facing a spiritual battle, we're facing discouragement, we're heading down a path maybe we don't want to head. God, in his grace, has given us the full armor of God that sometimes the battle is overwhelming. Temptation is real. Believing lies are real. Discouragement is real. So what are the tools? Verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, So that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your your waist. One of the greatest enemies to us winning the battles in our life, changing all of that stuff. One of the greatest enemies to that is believing a lie. Believing a lie that the enemy has told us. It goes all the way back to the garden. All right, let me show you the beginning, the very beginning of Genesis. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Now let's pause here just for a minute. (laughs) I need my water, sorry. Let's pause here just for a minute, uh, because this is obviously a loving command of God to the man and the woman. When you read this in the text, he wants life for them. He wants good for them. He wants them to live in this place of perfection. Now, he's also given them a free will. And so he commands them, stay away from this thing. This fruit is bad for you. It'll put that life in jeopardy. And notice the command. I want you to pay attention to it. That you are free to eat from any tree but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and when you eat of it, you will certainly die. The story continues. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good and evil. So notice the lies in this text, right? Did God really say you must not eat from any tree? That's not what God said. Did God say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? No, God actually said you can eat from every tree in the garden except for one. So God did not say this. God did not say you can't eat from any tree. This is Satan portraying God in a way that is not interested in the joy and life of his creation. And then the serpent just flat out lies. He says, you will not certainly die. It is a flat out now contradiction and lie. And Satan is still operating out of this playbook. 
I want you to think right now about some cultural lies that we are just believing right now that maybe some people in this room are even believing some of these lie, lies. Lie number one, I was born this way and there's nothing I can do about it. That I cannot change. Because of my genetics, because of my sin nature, because of my personality, there is no way I could ever live the life described in the Bible. There is no way I could ever achieve victory in, this areas, in these areas, and it's kind of his fault because he made me this way. It's a lie. The truth is this. Every single person in this room, if you look around this room, every single person in this room has a thing they're tempted by. Every single one. If you came in here thinking you were walking into a room full of perfect people, I'm their pastor. I know it's not true, right? I know the guy on the stage is not a perfect person. None of us, every single person in this room has a thing they struggle with, a thing they're tempted to turn to. But here, but what isn't true is that there's nothing you can do. What isn't true is that you cannot change. You have Jesus and his example. You have the teachings of the Bible. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a group of other believers. You don't have to give in to your base desire. You don't have to do that. That you can live the life God is, has created you to live. It is a lie to say that there is nothing I can do to change. My genetics have set my path. My sin nature has set my path. My family history has set my path. That is a lie. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that's the second lie that I can't. I can't overcome. I can't do this anymore. The truth is, that's a lie the truth is, the world can be a difficult place. And if we wanted to be here till five o'clock tonight, we could go around this room and person after person, tell me about how the world has been a difficult place for you this week. And we would hear story after story after story. The world can be a difficult place. But here's the truth. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, is at work in you. So the cultural lie is, I can't, and the Bible would absolutely say, you can. You can overcome. You can walk in righteousness and faithfulness. You can, because God has given you his Holy Spirit, his example, his words. You absolutely can. Cultural lie number three. I have to do what's best for me. That my happiness is the thing that matters most. Has, has, is the thing that matters most. And the truth is that ideology has led us to be one of the unhappiest generations in history. You would think it would be the opposite. You would think a cultural narrative that would say, hey, you do you, you serve you, you pursue your, your own happiness, that we would be a nation full of the happiest people on planet Earth. It is a lie. It is a lie that I have to do what's best for me. The truth is, you and I, we are designed for God's glory. You are designed not to serve you. You are designed to serve God. And so we are absolutely designed for his glory. We are designed to serve others. This is how we were built 
And so living for his glory, here's what I believe, and I believe the Bible teaches it. Living for his glory results in our joy. It results in our joy. But we have to become more obsessed with God's glory than we do what is best for me. So it's important that we wear this belt of truth. He also goes on to say, make sure you have the breastplate of righteousness in place. The truth, they're not, all my points are not going to be this long. You're like, Aren't there like eight things in this? Yes, there are. All right, but we're going to start going faster now. All right. I think the belt of truth is, it begins there for a reason. Breastplate of righteousness. The truth is, as you study the Bible, God calls us to what is right and good in his eyes. It is another cultural lie right now, right? That I have to do what is right in my eyes. No, no, no. The Bible would teach that God calls us to what is right and good in his eyes. And there's a correlation in the scriptures. Where righteousness lives is life. So God is calling us to life. And once we believe that, the next logical step is that we can commit ourselves to doing what is right what is right in his eyes. And what can happen is you're in some kind of battle or life is difficult. And here's, here's the first thing we begin to question is, is God really leading me to life? This doesn't feel like life. Is God really leading me to life? And you start to have these thoughts. So if I pursue this relationship, if I pursue this thing, if I pursue this lifestyle, maybe it will give me life. You remember the scene from the temptation of Jesus, Matthew 4? Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is the temptation of Jesus. The serpent comes to him, the tempter comes to him and says, Jesus, look at, you have not eaten in 40 days. You are suffering. God is not leading you to life. For the love of all that is good, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus affirms in his heart and in his mind, he says, listen, I live, I live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's the breastplate of righteousness. That I have to do what is good and right, not in my eyes. I have to do what is good and right in God's eyes. That's the breastplate of righteousness, is that I live by every word. Even the ones that cultural says are silly, even the ones that culture says are silly, even the ones that my mom and dad say aren't right. Every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because where righteousness lives, lives life. And maybe it's good for us to, to believe that this morning. It's like, man, have I been believing some lies? I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm going to say, what are the words that have come from the mouth of God? Because where righteousness lives is life. Don't forget to have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Later on, <clears throat> Paul will say, don't forget to put on the helmet of salvation. And I love what Kenneth Bowles in one of my commentaries said about this. He said, the Roman soldier wore a low half boot with a strong sole and open leather work above. It was studded with sharp nails to ensure a firm grip. His footwear was also designed for mobility. 
And Roman armies were renowned for their ability to make great distances in short time. The gospel of peace is the footwear for the Christian soldier. While the firm foundation of the gospel is implied here, Paul's expression, fitted with the readiness, puts most of the emphasis on the preparedness and preparation of the soldier. Without the sandal, without the boots, he's relaxing. With them, he's ready for combat. Paul's irony should not be overlooked. The gospel of peace makes us ready for spiritual war. I know, I know I say this a lot. I know you guys probably get tired of hearing it a lot. We have to know the gospel, guys. We have to know the full gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners. Denying our sin or making it like it's not a sin anymore. Denying our sin is not the pathway to life. So that we are sinners. That Christ died for us while we were sinners. He has resurrected and given us his Holy Spirit. And he has invited us to be a part of his kingdom now and forever. And as we go through the battles of life, the gospel, our feet fitted with the gospel, makes us ready for spiritual battle. So in this battle called life, when somebody hurts us, the gospel is what reminds us that we should forgive them. When pain comes, the gospel is what reminds us that all things work for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. When God is glorified, good things happen. When death comes, the gospel reminds us of the resurrection. When discouragement comes, the gospel reminds us that we have the Holy Spirit in us. The gospel, the gospel, the gospel. That as we go through this difficult thing sometimes called life, and pain comes, and difficulty comes, and disagreement comes, it is the gospel that prepares us for those moments. It is the gospel that makes us ready for those moments. It is the gospel that declares to us the truth of that moment. I am discouraged, yeah? I am discouraged, but the gospel reminds me I have the Holy Spirit in me so I can overcome. Or I am angry. The gospel reminds me that I need to forgive. Right? I am scared. The gospel reminds me that I can have courage. It is the gospel that does these things, but we have to know it. We have to be reminded of it, and we have to walk in it. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, which which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The writer of Hebrews uh, will define faith pretty well for us. Faith is being sure of what we hope for, sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. So faith is this belief and hope and trust in God. It is what extinguishes the arrows of the evil one. Think about all the arrows that can come at you when you're in a battle. There's an arrow called accusation that the enemy loves to use, that you are your sin. You are your sin. That's who you are. That's who you'll always be. That's an accusation. Faith tells us we are sons and daughters of God. Temptation comes in battle. Hey, take the easy way out. Take the the side way out. You shouldn't have to do this. That's what temptation says. Faith tells us the ways of God are good and right, and we should follow him. Lies, all the lies that come in a spiritual battle. Faith tells us that God's way is truth and truth is found in him. All the temptation to sin that comes in a battle. Faith tells us that even when we sin, we can be forgiven by Christ. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. One of the great offensive weapons that we have, the word of God. 
and never before. Are you blown away by this like I am? Never before have the people of God had such access to the word of God. Uh, some of you, I, I love kind of looking out at you. Some of you still have a paper Bible. 95% of you, when I'm like, open up your Bibles, you pull out your phone. I'm assuming you're looking at God's word. We'll go with that, right? So open up to Ephesians 6. And we all have this incredible access to the word of God, this digital access. We are incredibly blessed. But what, what can come with incredible blessing can be a taking it for granted. And I don't want us to do that at this church. Because the word of God is this amazing tool we have in spiritual battle. It will encourage you. It will motivate you. It will convict you. It will keep you heading in the right direction. Here's the last thing Paul says. And pray in the spirit on all occasions. With all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, that whenever I speak, words may be given to me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. To me, the Apostle Paul was a giant of the faith. Um, I am, I'm kind of obsessed with him because when, when, I, when I read the Apostle Paul, I'm like, oh, dude, you are operating at a different level than I am operating. The way he views suffering, the way he views trial, the way he views difficulty, the way he views temptation, Paul was operating at a different level. Here's what I love about this. The Apostle Paul, with all of his faith and all of his expertise, said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? I am in a spiritual battle right now, and I want, I want you to pray that I would courageously declare the truth. If you are, not if you are here, because you are here today, I want to pray for you as we close out this series. If you're here today and you are feeling the weight of a spiritual battle in your life. You are here today and you are discouraged. You are here today and you're thinking about giving up. You are here today and you're in a place of temptation. You are here today and you've realized you've been believing a lie that was told to you. You are here today and you're confused. You're here today and you're uncertain. You're here today and you don't know what to do. I want to pray for you. And what I want to ask you to do is exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And it's a little uncomfortable because we don't normally do it around here. But I want to close this message in prayer. And if I just described you that you are in this battle and you're discouraged and you're afraid or you're uncertain or you've believed a lie, whatever the case may be, I want to ask you right now, would you stand? This is our Apostle Paul moment to say, would you pray for me? Would you please pray for me? I'm in the midst of a battle and I'm afraid and I'm uncertain and I don't know what to do. I'm confused. We want to pray for you right now, so let's do that. Lord, we thank you for your gospel. And I don't know all of the stories around this room right now, but I want to pray for our church.
for the people that were, felt like they could stand and the people that just didn't feel like they could do that. I want to pray. I want to pray for the discouraged person that you would give them encouragement. I want to pray for the person thinking about giving up that you would give them courage to not. I want to pray for the person in the place of temptation that you would provide for them a way out. I want to pray for the person that's unsure that you would give them certainty. I want to pray for the person that is without hope that you would give them hope. I want to pray for the person that's angry that you would give them peace. I want to pray for every spiritual battle that we are facing in this room that we would not see that we need escape as much as we need victory. And I want to pray victory over every person in this room. No standing and those that are not. I want to pray for victory for them, that victory would come through the cross, through your death, burial, and resurrection, and that we would be a resurrection people now and forever as we face our battles. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Right now, we want to remember the gospel that reminds us of all of those things. Uh, some, a little piece of bread, just a little tiny piece of bread represents and reminds us of his body. A little cup of juice, just a tiny bit of juice reminds us of his blood. But the, the, the message of these things is profound. So if you are here today and you're like, man, I, I screwed up big this week. This is the moment to re- for you to realize I am forgiven. For those of you that are uncertain, it's a, it's a reminder to you that you have the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you. For, you. for those of you that are unsure, it's a reminder that God is with you. For those that feel alone, that he has not left your side one bit. The gospel reminds us of all these beautiful things. And so I just want us to receive communion this morning with a little bit of a different tone of just to say, man, God, thank you. The battles are real. The world can be difficult. But greater is you who is in me than he who is in the world. So today I stand in victory, I stand in courage, I stand in faithfulness because of his gospel of good news. And let's just receive communion a little bit differently today of just take it and thank God for the victory he has assured you. And then I'll come back up in just a moment and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, may we remember all the beautiful things that come with your gospel. That we are not alone because of your spirit. We have a power inside of us that is deeper than we realize. We are forgiven when we screw up. That you are with us every step of the way. We are not alone. Boy, we're grateful. May we be your resurrection people that leave this place knowing that because of the resurrection, everything is different. And for every spiritual battle, every person in this room is facing, may we leave this place in hope and joy and peace because of your word. It's the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Will you close? We're gonna close with a, a song. And if you, have, uh, if you want to have some continued prayer, uh, we're going to have a couple elders in the overflow right after church. They would love to pray with you. Um, we are going to, at, at the end of the song here, um, we're going to take like a five-minute break is all. Uh, so um, we'll call it seven minutes. At 11.05, uh, we'll, uh, we'll get back in here and do our congregational meeting. Um, and uh, we will uh, 
have you out before the Baptist. How's that as a promise, all right? Um, we we want to go over uh, a couple things, uh, vote on the bylaw changes that we've been talking about, uh, the budget for this upcoming year, uh, but uh, none of that should take a, a real long time. So uh, if, you could, if you could stay, we would love for you to do that. Um, but five-minute break right after church, all right? God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead. 